you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 6. Romans 6, and we're going to read one more time, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 14, and we'll see how far we go today of what the Lord... Are we learning things as we're going through the book of Romans? I pray that we are. And understand this. Knowledge is a wonderful thing, isn't it? People perish for lack of knowledge. Knowledge is a wonderful thing. But if we have only knowledge, what is it? If I have all knowledge but have not love, you go to 1 Corinthians 13, don't you? you know, we, we can gain knowledge. True knowledge will come from the Lord. And may we not use it for anything other than, in turn, sharing the love of Christ with others. Because if we have all knowledge, but have not loved, what are we? Clanging gong and loud symbols and nothing more. So I pray as we're going through this that we can be thankful to God. I know I am of all that He is showing me and revealing to me in His Word that is making so many other Scriptures come to light as they should. And this I know, we need to be rock solid on everything up through Romans 6, chapter 14, or we're going to be lost when we go into chapter 7. We're not going to have a right interpretation and a right understanding unless we are firm on what we have gotten so far. And, and, and that, that is so great because we can take Paul's writings and he, and you're going to see as you're reading the other epistles of how everything Paul is consistent in saying the same things that everywhere in the writings that the Lord has inspired him to pen. So let's read one more time, Romans 6, 1 through 14. What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? <laughs> Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also... Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. 
And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. And I pray, Lord, just by the truth of your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to each heart exactly what they need this morning. So, Father, help us. We need you. We need you. We need you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I will start again today as I have probably the last two or three sermons of reminding ourselves of what we know. We've got to keep coming back to that. What do we know from the book, the Word of God? What do we know? What do we know from what Paul has been saying so far? Well, without putting the verses up there, just let me say, uh, do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized in, into His death. We know. We know that. And knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. Why? That, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. This we know. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe and we know. We know that we shall also live with Him. And then knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. The things that we know or that we should know with certainty as a child of God, as a true believer. Paul has stated that we have been united with Jesus Christ in His death and have through Him had the penalty paid for our sin, for every true believer. Sin is no longer our master. We are no longer slaves of sin. We are a new creation. We no longer are no longer under the reign of sin and death. We are under the reign of grace and eternal life. Child of God, do you know that? We're no longer in the realm of Adam, but we are in the realm and domain of Christ. Identity. Of who we are. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Our old man was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. That's who I am. Brothers and sisters, that's who you are in Christ. We have been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We have, we have gone from being an enemy of God to being a friend and a child of God. That's amazing, isn't it? That's grace. That's grace. Once a slave to sin, now a slave to righteousness. And that's a good thing. That's, a, that's the most wonderful thing. Once under the wrath of God, but now set free, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, that's who we are. Can anything change that? No. No. Justified before God the Father. This is our identity now in Him. Now if we could just put up that verse 11. I have it by itself. 
Likewise, or even so, knowing and fully believing in everything Paul has said up to this point of who we are in Christ, you also reckon, consider, count it as so, yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, sin shall not have dominion over you. You're all dead indeed to the penalty of sin if you're in Christ. Amen? Dead to the penalty of sin. Your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. Now, having said that, we're talking identity. We're talking about uh, standing before God the Father, clothed in a robe of righteousness, not of our own, but of Christ. Is there... And I want this to come out right. While we're still walking on this earth, is there penalty for sin? Yes. I'm going to say yes. Consequences. You understand what I'm saying, right? There is consequences to sin while we were yet on this earth. All of our sins, forgiven. But yet, consequences while we're here. God chastens those He loves. Why would He chasten us? Are we getting out of line? Is is He going to chasten one who is... So here here I'm getting into things. Job was a a man after God's own heart and these things came to him. But, But Job had been faithful. So God puts upon us what He deems best for us. What he deems best for us. Let's do this. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. Because we know this. That it's a new creation. I say spiritually. Because the old body didn't change. Did it? When we got saved, the body's the same. We're a new creation spiritually. Our souls have been redeemed. But while we're still residing on planet Earth, and we talked about this the last sermon, we are this new spiritual being. Our soul is housed in this unredeemed body of flesh that is prone to temptation and prone to sin. And Paul referred to it, and, and I talked about this again last time, our mortal body. So verses 12 through 13, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And just a reminder, when when we hear him talking about your members, what's he talking about? Talking about your hands, your feet, your 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 mind, your your tongue, your the, the things we do and the things we say, all of these things are, are members that, that, we, that we work and we move and we speak uh, here on this earth. Therefore, in light of who you are, in light of what you know, how then should we live? How then should we live? And he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now that implies that sin can reign, does it not? Why would he say it without the implication that sin can? So it's an admonition from Paul. It's it's an exhortation. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Is that not a call to do something? 
I say, yes, it is. Can I say this? We choose our actions. Can I say that? Or at least for the most part, at least, we get to choose what we do. <laughs> the younger ones in here may not say so, but, but while you're home, mom and dad does a lot of the choosing for you, but they're just guiding you and teaching you. But for the most part, we get to choose what we say and what we do. And within that choosing, now listen, we will choose to sin or not to sin. Can we agree with that? Because we're, we're choosing. And we can choose to sin or not to sin. Uh, MacArthur, I, I read this quote a couple weeks ago. And he said this, Sin has no power to control a believer unless the believer chooses to obey its lusts. And I think that's true. Sin has no power of its own over you unless you relinquish. Can I say that? Unless we choose to follow after the temptation or the lust, whatever it may be. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust, lust, sinful desires uh, that, that stem from this mortal body, our mind and our imagination. We talked about this quite a bit a couple Sundays ago too. Uh, but here, I want to do this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 9th chapter. 1 Corinthians 9th chapter. Paul said this of his body. Uh, 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperament is temperate in all things. Now, temperate in all things. What, what's that? What's that talking about? What's that mean? Uh, the ESV perhaps will make it a little clearer, where it says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So, being temperate, having self-control. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, that trophy, that whatever it is that that if they win the race. They they are they are doing all these things. They they're exhibiting self control in all things, so that they may train their bodies, so that they may win and run and win the race and receive a perishable crown. But we, but we run a race for an imperishable crown. You see, verse twenty six. Therefore, Paul says, I run thus, not with uncertainty. ESV says, so I do not run aimlessly. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 3. I, I press toward the goal, toward the mark, the, the, the prize uh, of, the, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I, I, I don't run aimlessly, but I have my eyes fixed on the upward call, the goal, the mark to God. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air. Just imagine a boxer. Shadow boxing. Just beating the air. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. I discipline my body. He's talking about his physical body. He's talking about his mortal body. 
He says, bring it into subjection. In other words, bring it under control. He is exhibiting self-control, which is listed within the fruit of the Spirit. I, I thought this was interesting, and I hope you do as well. The Greek word for subjection is doula gogio. You may say, well, big deal. Doula doulos. Do you remember that? Does that ring a bell with any of you? Doulos. What's that the Greek word for? Slave. Remember that? We, we went over that several times and, and we went to different references in, in the Word of God where that Greek word doulos was used. And so here, what, what is Paul saying? It's that, that doulagogio is from that root word doulos. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that he has made his body his slave. Not the other way around. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the importance of how Paul phrased that? Paul is saying, I make my body my slave to serve me in my mission in serving God. That, that it will not betray me. Uh, uh, Piper uh, likened it as, as the members of our body being Judas's and trying to lead us astray. Here's a quote from, from MacArthur before, before we continue with the verse. Listen, listen. Most people, including many Christians, are instead slaves to their bodies. Their bodies tell their mind what to do. Their bodies decide when to eat, what to eat, how much to eat, when to sleep and get up and so on. An athlete cannot allow that. He follows the training rules, not his body. He runs when he would rather be resting. He eats a balanced meal when he would rather have a chocolate sundae. He goes to bed when he would rather stay up, and he gets up early to train when he would rather stay in bed. An athlete leads his body. He does not follow it. It is his slave, not the other way around. You see the importance of what Paul is saying. And it's talking about this mortal body therefore getting getting back to the scripture therefore i run thus not with uncertainty thus i fight not as one who beats the air but i discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when i have preached to others i myself should be disqualified disqualified what does he mean by become disqualified and some may say, well, does he mean that, that you lose your salvation? <laughs> no, no. And if you even thought that, then I feel I failed in my teaching. If you even thought that. For the born again believer, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. For, for those who are in the hand of God, what can snatch us out of his hand? Nothing. So it's not talking about that. Well, well, what's it talking about? Being disqualified. I believe that's this. That Christians who succumb to various lusts of the flesh can destroy their witness and testimony to others. Amen? Yes. You've seen it happen. Perhaps it's happened to you. It's happened to me. Just consider over the past couple decades, if we even want to go that far, we don't have to go that far, how many 
high-profile pastors and evangelists have fallen because their sins have been exposed. You say what you see what you see what Paul's saying. They didn't discipline their body. They didn't make their bodies their slave and, and bring their bodies into submission, but rather followed after fleshly lusts and desires. Now, whether it was a desire for some, it was a desire for power. For some, it was a power for greed and money. For others, it was sexual desire. For some high-profile people, homosexual desires. Did you see what Paul is saying? I must discipline my body lest I be disqualified. Do you see what he's saying? So I, I don't take that lightly. I am not perfect by any of the stretch of the imagination, and neither are you. But I have this place that God has placed me. And, and I don't ever want to do anything to blaspheme in the name of the Lord that would disqualify me from this. So do you see what he's saying? Do you see the importance of disciplining your body? Bring it under subjection. Make your body your slave rather than the other way around that, that you are just running on the desires and lusts of this body. See, Paul had talked about the body and its desires and in particular sexual immorality early in 1 Corinthians. Let's go ahead and read it this morning in this 6th uh, chapter, beginning of verse 12. We're going to go down through verse 20. All things are helpful for me, but all, thing, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for foods. Remember, there's this, you know what he's talking about, right? And I believe most of you do. There's such a debate on unclean foods and things, going back to the Old Testament and Levitical law and all these things. Well, well what can you eat and what can you not eat? And, and all of so many different things were going on. And so he says, foods for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That's good right there. That's good. And God raised, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up, raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, instruments, members, hands, feet, tongue, all parts, all parts of the body? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Here's that phrasing again. Certainly not. May it never be. How could you even consider such a thing? Certainly not. Shall, shall, shall we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. 
but he is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality, he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body, your mortal body, and in your spirit. See, he makes the distinction, doesn't he? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies... Your mortal bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. May we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. May we, may we never present the members of our body to be used as instruments, as weapons of unrighteousness. Lest we be disqualified. Lest we shipwreck our testimony before others. You see the importance of this. Peter makes a very similar appeal in 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. See, Peter states it as a condition of war, a battle. And one might ask, well, who are we at war with? (laughs) Well, the... I guess the first answer that would come to mind, because we know about our adversary, the the devil, the quick answer would be the devil, but is it not more? Couldn't we say the world, the flesh, and the devil? Couldn't we say it that way? I think the Word of God says it that way. Uh, let's, Let's go into Ephesians 2, the first six verses, just for a moment. And you talking of a born-again believer. And you, He, the Lord, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So here, here Paul gives the contrast between life apart from Christ and life in Christ. And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. In other words, the ESV says following the course of this world, meaning following the ways of culture and society that oppose God. The ungodly trends of the world. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Well, there's there's the reference to the devil, our adversary, the roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, seeking to lead into temptation, seeking to destroy their testimony, seeking to disqualify, have them disqualified. Do you see? 
to get as many people, even though they're children of God, to get them disqualified for faithful service. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires in the flesh and of the mind. That's who we all were at one time. The the message of the cross was foolishness. We, we, We cared nothing for the things of God or what His Word said. We were just running on desires. Lust of the flesh, our mortal bodies, all the desires and lust for things, materialism, self-fulfillment, instant gratification of the mind, our thinking, deliberate choices that defy the will of God. You see. And were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That was all us. <laughs> but child of God, that's not us now. That's not us now. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord for the work of salvation, for the message of the cross. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 12 through 17. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. (laughs) Aren't you thankful your sins have been forgiven? Have been cast as far as the east is from the west. That He remembers them no more. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the Father. I have written to you fathers because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world. Now you listen, say amen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What has priority? What's preeminent in your life? Where is your love and affection? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16 now. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you believe that? You have to. It's the Word of God. You you have to. 
if you are truly walking in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Even though we are born again, are we always walking, or are we always, while in this body of flesh, are we always doing the things that are of the Spirit? No, we're not. Sometimes we succumb to fleshly lust, and again, whatever that may be. But if our eyes are fixed on Him, we are abiding in Him. We are looking to Him and not to the things of the world. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I believe that. And any time that I do, I know for that moment, I have preferred something else rather than Him. Why would I ever do such a thing? Why would you? It's When you really think about it, it's rather mind-boggling, isn't it? Why would I ever, for even a second or a moment, prefer something rather than the Lord? Well, because I needed to get my two cents in. That's why. Because, because I wanted that, and by golly, I was going to get it. I didn't care what it took. Well, nobody was listening. I didn't think it hurt anybody. Nobody saw me. Nobody saw me. Somebody did. The one who is the most important of all, and that's God. Nothing is hidden from Him. You understand that, right? I hope everybody in here can understand that. Nothing, nothing is hidden from Him. Even your thoughts Ooh. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and again keep in mind he's talking of his, this mortal body and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish talking of this mortal body See, if we, if we don't get this right, you're going to have the wrong interpretation of, of Romans chapter 7. If you don't understand, he's talking about mortal body here. Spirit versus flesh, mortal body. You're going to get chapter 7 wrong. Let's put up at verse 12 and 13 again in Romans 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Members. Again, talking about the parts of our body, our hands, our feet, our eyes, all the parts of our bodies. Do not present them to be used as instruments of unrighteousness. See, do not, do not allow them to be used. Discipline your body. Exercise self-control. Do not put your members, the members of your body, at the disposal of sin. To be used by sin. Well, how do I do that? 
Well, we kind of, I think we've already kind of been talking about it. And do not present your members of instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God. See, there's the key. Don't present your members to sin, but present yourself to God. The, the, the verb there is, and keep on presenting yourself to God. See, understand that. Present yourself to God and keep presenting yourself to God. There's the key. Continually coming before Him in prayer and the reading of His Word and pray, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Lord, give me wisdom and discernment for your, from Your Word. Lord, help me make the members of my body instruments of righteousness for You. See, every day may we come before Him in prayer saying, Lord, equip me and use me. Will He answer a prayer like that? As long as we keep presenting ourselves to Him, I, I say, yes, He will. Does that mean He will keep us from temptation? don't think so. But He will keep us strong as we're looking to Him in temptation, when we face temptation. Does that make sense? That we might be able to stand. Can we do it? Can we stand against the wiles of the devil of our own accord? <laughs> no, no, no. We, we, we preach sermons similar to this multitude of times, but we need him. We need him, don't we? we need, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Yes, we need reminding of, reminded of all of this. So we're going to go to Ephesians 6. We, you knew probably we we're going to go there at some time during this sermon. Let's go to Ephesians 6, read about the armor of God, because it's not of our power and strength, but in His power and might. Ephesians 6, verses, let's go 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. There, there's where our strength comes from. My help comes from the Lord. So many verses that we could go to about that right there. He is our strength. He is our fortress. He is our high tower. He is all we need. He is all we have to go through to help us in this battle. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the methods of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I'm going to pause there for just a second. I know I've said this a lot. And it seems to me that every sin is preceded by a thought to sin. A temptation. We're... we're Sin has made itself visible. The temptation is there. There's the thought. Bring every thought captive. Place it in captivity. What, what's that mean? Self-control. Make. Don't, don't allow that. Don't let, let, let your body make you the slave. Make your body the slave. Tell your body what to do. Tell your mind, get that thought out of there. You, you see? You see? 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the sage, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your waist girded with truth. What is truth? It's the word of God. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Know who you are. Know that you have been justified. That you've clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all. Or in all circumstances. Taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Do you believe that? I keep asking you that. Just to make you at least think about it, do I really believe that? That if I'm equipped with the Word of God, I will have the arsenal I need to combat everything the devil throws at me. How did Jesus respond? Every time when the devil took him up and showed him all the different things, every time, how did Jesus respond? With the Word of God. And that's us. You know what your weaknesses are. Whatever it may be. You know your weaknesses. Find Scripture to combat those temptations and weaknesses. Equip yourself with the sword that you'll be able to Quench every fiery dart, every temptation, everything that the devil would throw at you. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Child of God, don't be deceived. Don't get a peacetime mentality when it comes to sin. But rather, fight the good fight of faith. How many Scriptures could we go to that would talk about those very things? Because we are at war. Amen? Do you believe that? Spiritual warfare. At war with the fiery darts of the devil. At war with our own lusts and desires. So, child of God... I'm just going to ask you, just kind of examine yourself, how you're doing in the battle. How have you been equipping yourself? Are you daily in that process of killing sin? You know who I'm getting ready to quote, or at least some of you are. John Owen. John Owen, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Let, let me read a little bit more than just that statement. This is John Owen. Quote, Do you make it your daily work? And he's talking about killing sin. Do you make it your daily work? That this is something you need to think about every day. Lest you be caught off guard. Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. If we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. Let this one, let this be one aspect of your daily intercession, 
God, preserve my soul and keep my heart and all its ways so that I will not be entangled. Entangled again with a yoke of bondage to sin, you see. Don't become entangled. And he goes on. When this is true in our lives, a passing temptation will not overcome us. That's true. We will remain free while others lie in bondage. Be killing sin. That's, that's good, isn't it? Be killing sin. I got a Lord Jones quote. It's a big one. And this, let, let me read. And some of you, you're gonna, it's going to make you kind of go, wait a minute. You know, it, it is. But listen, listen to us. We'll get all the way through this. Lord Jones, quote, We're having a terrible fight in battle with sin. We tend to fall constantly and to go down. What can I do about this problem of sin and evil that is in me? Where can I find relief? Here I am thus struggling, striving, defeated, and unhappy. Suddenly I look at an advertisement which says, Come to the clinic. I am quoting actual words that are used. Say, I'm going to pause there for a minute. Apparently, he had just read something, whether it was in the paper or something, and maybe an advertisement. Maybe he saw it on a church sign, come to the clinic. I, I don't know what it was. It says, I'm quoting actual words that are used. Come to the clinic. What you need, we are told, is to come to the clinic, to the spiritual hospital, and here your sickness and your illness can be dealt with. But as I read the verses that we are studying, I see no suggestion whatsoever of a clinic. Rather, I find a barracks. What do you think? You think he's on it? Are we not soldiers of the cross? He says, rather, I find a barracks. That, that's for some of you that don't know what a barracks is. This is where the soldiers sleep and where they go and, and uh, uh, where, where they gather together. And then the the sergeant or whoever it is will come in and give them direction and let them know what's going on for the day. Rather, I find a barracks, not a hospital, but a military center. What do I need? What do I find? I do not find a doctor here. What we all need is not a doctor, but a sergeant major. Here we are, as it were, slouching about the parade ground. That's where they go out and march, the parade ground. Slouching around the parade ground, feeling all our own pulses, feeling miserable, talking about our weaknesses. So we say, I need a doctor. I need to go to the clinic. I need to see the medical officer. But, but that is not right. What you need is to listen to the voice of the sergeant major who is there shouting out the commands of God to you. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Yield not your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Yield yourself unto God. You have no business to be slouching about like that. Stand on your feet. Realize who and what you are. Enlisted in the army of God. Present yourself. This is not a clinic. The main trouble with the Christian church today is that she is too much like a clinic, too much like a hospital. That is why the great world is going to hell outside. We all are suffering with the mumps and measles of the soul and feeling our own pulses and talking about ourselves and our moods and our subjective states. We have lost the concept of the army of God and the king of righteousness in this fight against the kingdom of evil. 
What can I do to be delivered, we tend to say. I answer, look at the great campaign. Look at it objectively. Look at it from God's standpoint. Forget yourself and your temporary troubles and ills for the moment. Fight in the army. It is not a clinic you need. You must realize that we are in a barracks, that we are involved in a mighty campaign. This is a, this is a question of service. We persist in thinking of it in, in terms of my feelings and my failure and my success. But Paul bids us look at it in terms of service. When you fall to that sin, the real trouble is not so much the particular thing you have done or the badness of that thing. That, that is important, I agree. But there is something much worse. It is that you, for whom Christ died, have allowed sin to use a faculty that is in you. That is the way to look at it. Holiness is a matter of service, not a feeling and subjective moods and states, not a matter of experiences. We are meant to be serving the living God with the whole of our being. And no part of us is ever meant to be used and must not be used in the service of sin. We must not fraternize with the enemy. That is the New Testament way of teaching holiness. What most of us need is not a clinic but to listen to the sergeant major drilling his troops, commanding them, warning them, showing them what to do. But it is not easy. Fight the good fight of faith, says the New Testament. Put on the whole armor of God. Stand in the evil day. These are all military commands, as the apostle puts it here, as indeed he puts it in all his teaching concerning this matter of sanctification everywhere. It is only as we look at it in this way that we shall see the privilege of our position. Sin will then become unthinkable. We shall not allow it to reign our immortal body or yield any one of our faculties or members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but rather we will yield ourselves to God and our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. End quote. Well, I don't know about all that. Yes, God is the great physician. He's not talking about that. He's talking about being a soldier of the cross. Pardon? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be deceived. We're in a daily battle with sin, with the lust of the flesh, this mortal body. And we need to stay alert vigilant got another quote this, this one's from piper and, I, and I've, I've used this one before it's been a couple of years ago I, I tried to look back to see just how long i've never been in the military I, i've never been in a combat situation where my life was in great peril but i know from the testimony of others my uncles that I've talked to, in particular, Uncle Louie that has now passed to a grenade came into the bunker and, and from that his buddy lost his life and he lost a leg. So, I, so I've heard testimony of guys that have been in, in situations like this. And, and uh, listen, listen to how John Piper puts this. There's something about war that sharpens the senses. Now think of the soldier on the battlefield. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves and you're in attack mode. 
someone coughs and you're ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps you vigilant. There's a mean, violent streak in the true Christian life. Now keep listening. But violence against whom or what? Not other people. It's a violence against all the impulses of our own selves that would make peace with our own sin and settle in with a peacetime mentality. It's a violence against all lust in ourselves, an enslaving desire for food or caffeine or sugar or chocolate or alcohol or pornography or money or the praise of men and the approval of others or power or fame. It's violence against our lustful impulses. Christianity is not a settle in and live at peace with this world the way it is kind of religion. Christianity is war. War on our own sinful impulses. End quote. It's pretty good, isn't it? Because it is. I discipline my body. I make it my slave. And I will not allow my body to be the slave over me. We're at war with our thoughts and impulses. At war with sin. Now, I'll remind you... Anytime I talk about this, I, I, I want to always remind you that, that for those of us who are in, Christ, or are in Christ, the war has already been won. So, so don't lose sight of that fact. The, the, the battle is, is, is over as far as our identity and position before God. But in the life we're still living, walking around in this mortal body, we are at war. And never lose sight of that. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. So we're jumping from chapter 6 to chapter 13, and look what he's still talking about. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. He's still talking about it seven chapters later. What are we in for? Do, do we get it? Do, do, do we understand Paul's talking about mortal body? And he's talking about this, this, this fight between the, the new spiritual creature that I am, a new creation in Christ, and this body of flesh, this mortal body, this corruptible body? Do we see that? I hope we do. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to combat this. It's put on Jesus. And, and, and here I will ask the question this way today, have you put on Jesus?
In other words, have you believed? Do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you that new spiritual creation that I've been talking about? Is that you? Are you still in your trespasses and sins? Are you still in darkness? Are you still just being controlled totally by the enemy? Do you believe? John 3, verses 14 through 18, as we get ready to close. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And talking about being lifted up on the cross. Why? Why would they have? Why would he do that? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Everything that Paul has said in Romans so far, But Jesus came to this earth to be the perfect sacrificial lamb, to give his life a ransom for many, to pay in full the penalty for sin for all those who believe. So by faith, believe. Receive Jesus Christ. Confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Repent of your sins and turn from your wicked ways and follow him. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. See, here's here's part of the good news that, that, that Paul puts in here. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised from, from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give You thanks for Your Word. And and my request, Lord, is that should there be someone who would hear this sermon that is still lost and afar from You, that, Lord, you would have mercy. That by grace, you would open their eyes to see the truth. The truth of who they are, a sinner before you, the, uh, to, to see your holiness. And, Lord, uh, upon saving faith and upon seeing you, that they would tremble before you that they would be confessing sins as they would receive Christ as for forgiveness for sin. Lord, I pray that You would grant them repentance. I pray that You would draw them close to Yourself. Lord, as You would transform them into a new creation in Christ. Father, for those of us who our believers, I pray that You would help us to always be vigilant. Even when we're home, 
I think sometimes, Lord, we're, we're vigilant when we're around others because we know others are watching, and so we may be put on a good face or maybe not say or do some things that we may do if we're just on our own. So, Lord, help me and help us all to understand this fight is always and it's everywhere. Because you are always there. You are always watching and listening and even our thoughts. So, Father, help us as your children to put on the armor. Help us to be killing sin. Help us, Lord, to fight the good fight of faith. I'm so thankful, Father, that when we do stumble, that you're merciful and forgiving. That if we come to you confessing sin, you forgive us. So, Lord, help us that, and help me, Lord, that, that we would not do anything, anything that would disqualify us in any way, that would ruin our testimony, that would ruin our confession to others. Help us to see the seriousness of that and the things we say and the things we do. Even if it's just with our spouses or with our closest friend or or whatever it may be. Lord, help us to always be vigilant to fight the fight of faith. Lord, we need you. You are our source of strength. We need you. Help us, Lord, to see the necessity of abiding in you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.